Hello and welcome to the J-Rod Tour Pod with me, James Robson. And me, Ollie Dix. So today, Ollie and I are going to be having a quick look back at a stage that uh, for the first 150k was pretty much as expected, but a lot of drama happened in the sprint um, and a fair bit of drama after the finish line. So let's jump straight into the conversation Ollie and I are having about the Tour de France today. Right, so Ollie, pretty standard start to the stage of the Tour. I mean, it was a sort of peloton start, but with the French rider Mathieu Ladanou um, going on a bit of a solo breakaway uh, to see if he could make it over. But I think it was controlled to under three minutes most of the time and, and it didn't look like it was ever going to be one that lasted. No, a lot of these things I think we have to go back to actually he... He spent a considerable amount of time out there on his own. So FDJ had their sponsors in the limelight for a considerable amount of time. And actually, that's great work for them. Yeah. Um, but sort of coming into the uh, into the final then, because, there, I mean, literally there was, you know, it was a very flat stage. There was a categorised climb, um, but it wasn't anything to phase anyone uh, no one really tried to put the hammer down too much to get over it it just kind of the peloton ate that one up a little bit um, but about six or seven K from the end uh, Sagan's teammate uh, a Bora Hansgrohe teammate uh, Lucas Postelberger went off the front because there was a little kick up uh, in the last couple of K, wasn't there? Yeah, it was like 800 metres at like 5%. So Postelberger with Casper uh, Asgreen and Bob Jungles from the Kona Quickstep, they broke off to basically put the peloton under some pressure. And it was strange how the peloton reacted because Ineos were on the front and because they wanted to get, they liked to get their riders through that 3K marker nice and safely. And then they just peel off and hang back basically. Um, and po- yeah, and Postelberger and the two guys from Dakota Quickstep kind of wanted to put like those sprint trains under some pressure early doors and see how they reacted. If they like keep going and the gap stays there, then okay, they win and great. And actually, if they get caught, no matter what, like those sprint trains will have had to have put some extra work in to maintain that gap and make sure that those three riders didn't get away. Yeah. And I think it, it it kind of worked in the way that, you know, we both commented. Sagan was a lot closer to the front than uh, he usually is on these out-and-out sprint finishes, which meant that Bora Hansgrohe kind of manipulated the finish and the ride into the finish to sort of suit him a little bit. Yeah, we saw a lot more of the sprinters were more isolated than they ever usually are and I think that was shown that actually okay we know that Wout van Aert can do a lot but him being there on the forefront of a sprint kind of shows you that actually it wasn't an out and out sprint is that fair to say? No yeah I I, I think that's fair enough I think it was a sort of a, a, bun- a bunch sprint but not everyone was starting from the same place you know some yeah. people were starting from more in the red than others um, but speaking of Wout van Aert then, because he's part of the controversy that's happened after the race, um, he was he was sort of getting getting to grips with sprinting towards the end, and I mean it looked like 
Peter Sagan kind of got boxed in twice yeah. and had to sort of back off and go around someone and then back off. And as he was going through Wout van Aert, I mean, I would say round by Wout van Aert, but he essentially went through Wout van Aert. Yeah, 100%. Um, sort of in between him and the barriers and gave him a pretty big nudge to get him out of the way. Yeah. So that he then had a clear shot at the finish line. I mean, it's one of those things that actually I think if Sagan had a clear run, he might well have managed to pit this one and because he was that close. But, I mean, those things happen in bunch sprints, don't they? I mean, you can't control what everyone's going to do. No, you can't, but I think there's a level of, like, how aggressive can you be? And Sagan seemed to take that to the limit, I think, and and obviously the jury... Beyond the limit. Yeah, decided that. So Sagan has been relegated to finish last, um, and he was docked 13 sprint points. So that was from his intermediate sprint about 100 it's i think it was 108k in where uh, like you said ladangu was down the road so he came first bennett was uh second his teammate morkov was third because he led bennett it was quite funny actually like he led bennett out and then almost bennett was hardly pedaling and had to come through and morkov had to break so that he didn't get the points ahead of bennett <laughs> but then ended up getting the points ahead of sagan so Double win. Really. Yeah, double win. Um, um, so, yeah, so he's he's had those points docked as well. So now Sam Bennett is 68 points clear of Sagan. And, and uh, for me, that is now an insurmountable difference. Well, yeah, I mean, unless Sagan does some, like, incredible business on the intermediate sprints over these, this, these next few, like, mountain stages... As long as Sam Bennett stays healthy, I don't think that this can come back from. And actually, it will be down to Paris, I think, where it will be an out-and-out sprint. We won't see Sagan really feature in that, so he has to do it elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, you don't want to call it too early, but Bennett seems to be quite nicely uh, in the green jersey. And also, now that they don't have to worry about... Um Alaphilippe being a genuine GC contender, it's sort of, it, you know, it enables the Koenig Quickstep to let Alaphilippe kind of surf the wheels and do whatever he needs to do to see if he can get a stage win, but also focus on getting Bennett across the line yeah. in the sprints. I mean, what also is worth like what watching out for is that third place on the podium, well, even the second place with Sagan. Like, Sagan's on 175 points. Cockard of B&B Hotels, 157. Caleb Ewan, 155. Trenton, 140. Wout van Aert, 131. Like, they're still well within like the realms of a podium for the sprinters. Um, Which still means something. Yeah, with the green jersey like, up for grabs. What's interesting as well, not to go on too much obviously about this, but Morkov and Alaphilippe that have obviously led Bennett out quite a lot are 8th and ninth. <laughs> There you go. I mean, it's kind of like we were watching some stuff from the 2012 tour where Froome was doing most of the work for Bradley Wiggins and yeah. ended up second on the podium. Um, but uh, speaking of Caleb Ewan, because keen listeners of the J-Rod uh, tour pod will remember that he was my rider to watch for today and uh, came through in a comfortable victory, it looked like. And no, it was it was probably the closest of margins possible, three of them within a wheel. Um, well, within a half a wheel tyre. Yeah. Uh, but no, Caleb Ewan has come out, uh, uh, you know, the right side of that. And 
it was a it was a sort of hectic late sprint, but you know, with those kind of things, you don't know whether you've won either, so you don't want to start celebrating in case you your pictures then everywhere with yeah. you not you not having won. Yeah, I think they do seem to have this sixth sense as to whether they have done well or not. But I think it's good for you and like he won two last year and two stages, and his aim was to try and basically prove that that wasn't a fluke. Um, and you know, winning two stages now like kind of does that, and he can go to Paris kind of uh, hoping to to better next year. And seems to be in pretty good form. Yeah. Um, but speaking of people who sort of aren't in in great shape at the moment, uh, unfortunately, we lost two of the peloton today to an abandonment. Um, Isaguir from Astana uh, had a really bad crash just after 30k to go um, so he's unfortunately had to abandon and Bora Hansgrohe's Gregor Mühlberger has had to abandon because he's ill um, but other than that a pretty sort of straightforward stage for everyone yeah Roglic um, third straight day in yellow um, looking, we'll more be com- okay. looking more comfortable in it yeah what's interesting is there was an interview with ITV4 with Froome and Froome said this we've seen this Roglic quite a lot in the first two weeks of a tour. He looks like bloody, yeah, bloody good, really quite nippy, and like, yeah, just not really beatable. And he's faded, and he's always faded. And Froome said, actually, he's going to have to win this and show that he didn't fade for Froome to believe that that's not that isn't what's going to happen you know Froome expects Roglic to fade at some point and I think that's you know quite a big call out for for someone like Froome to to come out with and and no doubt it will make its way back to Roglic oh, a little bit um and Egan Bernal still in second 21 seconds back but we're starting to get into his territory now yeah I don't see that changing tomorrow tomorrow is still quite a flat stage um you know, not flat, long. flat, but long. But then Friday is where we get our uh, our party finish. time, yeah. and then I think Friday, Sunday is is heinous. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are, are massive stages. Um, but I mean, looking at tomorrow, two hundred eighteen k. But with with some climbing, we've got t- uh, an intermediate sprint, fifty one k, and then we've got. A cat four climb, a cat four climb, a cat three climb, a cat two climb with t- climb with some bonus time on it, uh, and then a sort of relatively flat finish. But two hundred eighteen k is a big day. I mean, they did one hundred sixty eight k today in in four minute four hours and one second. Yeah, that annoyed me. Yeah, I was like, come <laughs> on, lads, a bit slow. Um, but I mean, this is conceivably with the amount of climbing that it is over six hours tomorrow. Yeah. My rider to watch tomorrow is Pogacar. Really? I think you'll go for it. He's bordering now. He's teetering on the line of, okay, we can let him go to... I think he's too far. Do you think? I think he's in that. I think he's in the GC battle, and as soon as he goes, he'll be shut down. Um, no, my... I, I do actually think it's a sort of... It's a day for a rider that doesn't have anything in the GC, but it's still a good climber. Yeah, I mean, it could well be an Alaphilippe. It could Adam well, Yates. Yeah, Adam Yates or Greg Van Avermaet. But the problem with Alaphilippe and with Yates is that I think they're still... Alaphilippe's like 30 minutes behind now. Yates is only a minute, though, so okay. I think Yates is in that area Yates of... Yates is too close. Mm, we can't let you go, sorry. Um, 
Well, yeah, you're Greg, Greg Van Avermaet. Or someone actually that I've... Michael I've, Lander. I mean, I've enjoyed... Yeah, Michael Lander. Uh, Michael Scher, the guy we discussed as being absolutely massive, um, also rides for CCC. So I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Van Avermaet takes him up the road and has yeah. someone to work for him. Um, I think what will be interesting as well is that going into these mountains, we're starting to see the polka dot jersey heat up. Yeah. I think that would be interesting to watch out for in these stages. Right, so thank you very much for listening to that episode of the J-Rod Tour Pod. Um, if you haven't already checked out our F1 podcast, looking back at a mental uh, race in Monza this weekend, please do that. Episode number 50. Episode number 50 of the J-Rod Pod. Um, but we're all looking forward to watching tomorrow, and make sure that you listen in tomorrow night for our tour pod as well. But until then, please make sure that you subscribe, follow us on social media, and let us know if there's anything you want to hear. <laughs>